Let's pray and we'll ask God to help us. Almighty God, our gracious and holy Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that as we reflect on it this morning that you will help us to understand it and help us to think through uh, how it is that we should respond to you, particularly when we, when we find ourselves um, uh, unhappy with the way things are. Uh, give us wisdom this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. I seem to be talking to a lot of people at the moment who are angry with God. People who are angry with God. Uh, one man I was talking to a few weeks ago, he told me that, uh, he, said, he said, God is either evil or incompetent. He said, why would God make people only to send them to hell? Now, either he loves people, in which case he must have somehow lost control, he's incompetent, or, or else he's some kind of evil monster. Only a monster would create people just to torture them. Uh, this man has decided he doesn't like God. It's not that he doesn't believe in God, it's that he doesn't like God. Now, he thinks he could have done a better job making the world than God has. And so, he told me, he's refusing to worship God anymore. He's given up on church. Another man I was talking to a while ago has a similar issue. He's also angry with God, but for him it's, it's more of a personal thing. Uh, this man has a child who's suffering a terrible illness. He can't understand how God would do something so cruel. Makes him want to hate God. Uh, another man I was talking to has homosexual feelings, and he's angry with God. He said, he said why would God make me this way? and then not allow me to express my feelings in a homosexual relationship. Other people I've spoken to are angry with God because God hasn't given them a husband or a wife, or because they don't like the one God did give them. <laughs> do you ever feel angry with God? Uh, do, you feel like, do you feel like God's got it all wrong? Like he doesn't know what he's doing. Like, like you could do a better job. How do you react to that feeling? How do you react to that feeling of being angry with God? What do you do with it? Well, today we start a three-week series on the book of Jonah. It's the story of a man who was angry with God. God gave him a command that he didn't like. A command he didn't agree with, and he was angry about it. And the book, book starts off straight away with God's command to Jonah. He tells him to go to the city of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was an important city in the country of Assyria. Now, geographically, it was to the northeast of Israel. Northeast of Israel. Uh, God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh and to warn them to stop being wicked. Jo Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1. Have a look with me. Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1. Jonah 1.1. 1, 1. Uh, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now you read it, it doesn't sound like much of a big deal, does it? Uh, there's actually a lot going on here in these opening verses. Uh, to start with, this is the first time we hear of that God sends a prophet to a nation outside of Israel. 
Prophets like Isaiah might have mentioned other nations, that they pronounced God's judgment on other nations, but this is the first time we hear of that a prophet is called to go to another nation. And Assyria is not just any nation. Assyria was an enemy of Israel. At this time, they were threatening Israel. Uh, they were demanding that Israel pay them tribute or taxes, or else they said, oh, come and, come and attack you. Uh, Assyria was one of the cruelest, most violent nations in the history of the world. Have a listen to this quote uh, from author Tim Keller. Assyrian kings often recorded the results of their military victories, a gloating of whole plains littered with corpses and of cities being burned completely to the ground. The emperor Shalmaneser III is well known for depicting torture, dismembering and decapitations of enemies in grisly detail on large stone relief panels. After capturing enemies, the Assyrians would typically cut off their legs and one arm, leaving the other arm and hand so they could shake the victim's hand in mockery as he was dying. They forced friends and family members to parade with the decapitated heads of their loved ones elevated on poles. They pulled out prisoners' tongues and stretched their bodies with ropes so they could be flayed alive and then their skins displayed on city walls. They burned adolescents alive. Historian Erica Bleibtreu writes that the history of Assyria is, and I quote, as gory and blood-curdling a history as we know. Assyria were a cruel and terrible enemy to Israel. And just a few decades after Jonah in 722 BC, Assyria invaded and destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. They slaughtered tens of thousands of Israelites. They took the rest uh, into a captivity from which Israel never returned, never recovered. When we think of Assyria, we need to be thinking something like Nazi Germany. This is a nation bent on destroying the people of Israel. So can you imagine God sending an Israelite to go and preach to Hitler and the Nazis? That's, that's pretty much what's going on here. To, to put it mildly, this is an unusual request from God. Not only that, but Jonah is an unusual person to ask. We don't know much about Jonah. But he does get one other mention in the Old Testament. It's in 2 Kings chapter 14, and I've put this on your outline. Uh, can you see it there on the left-hand side of your outline? It says, uh, in the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, Jeroboam the first, which he had caused Israel to commit. He was the one, this is Jeroboam the second, he was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebohamath to the Dead Sea, in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath Hepha. A couple of things to notice here. First, the date. Jonah is serving during the time of King Jeroboam. It's King Jeroboam II. He reigned 
He reigned from around about 786 to 746 BC. 786 to 746. So it gives you an idea of when this story happened. Uh, there were other prophets at the same time as Jonah. Other prophets at the same time. Uh, people like uh, Amos, people like Hosea. But the other prophets, it seemed, had a very different message from Jonah. Uh, you read Amos, you read Hosea, and you see they were devastatingly critical of Jeroboam and his administration. They bravely pointed out the injustice and the unfaithfulness and the, the idolatry of the Israelite leadership. Uh, even the writer of Kings here acknowledges that Jeroboam did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He caused Israel to worship golden calves instead of God. And yet what did Jonah prophesy? Did you notice it there? He prophesied that Jeroboam would enlarge the kingdom of Israel, restore the boundaries. He prophesied that Jeroboam would have military victory. It came true. He was a true prophet. But can you see, Jonah is a patriot. Jonah is a nationalist. Jonah is a proud Israelite. And yet here is God sending him to preach repentance to Israel's sworn enemy. As you can imagine, Jonah doesn't think it's a good idea. He doesn't want to do what God has asked him to do. He doesn't want non-Israelites repenting and being forgiven. He doesn't think that Jewish people should tell Nazis about God. He doesn't want Gentiles coming to know God. Jonah wants Israel's Gentile enemies dead. And so Jonah runs, decides to run away, to, to disobey God's command and to flee from the Lord. Instead of going north and east to Nineveh, he goes south to a port called Joppa and from there he catches a boat and heads west to a place called Tarshish. Exactly the opposite direction, verse 3. Verse 3, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Uh, Jonah tries to run away from God, but he doesn't get very far. It's a bit like one of those dreams. Have you ever had one of those dreams where you're trying to run away from something, but you can't get any traction for your feet? You just can't, don't seem to be moving anywhere. You can't get away you're going nowhere it's a bit like that for Jonah Jonah doesn't get very far God sends a storm onto the sea and Jonah's boat nearly sinks verse 4 then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up you know, the sailors of this boat as it turns out are Gentiles they're terrified by the storm. They cry out to their pagan idols. They try to lighten the load of the ship. Uh, meanwhile, Jonah is away from them. He's having a nap down in the cargo hold, probably trying to avoid contact with the dirty Gentile crew. Uh, the captain comes and wakes him up, asks him to pray to his God. The sailors cast lots to find out what's causing the storm. The lot falls on Jonah and they ask him whole heap of questions to get to find out what's going on. Verse 5. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. 
and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And so Jonah explains who he is and he tells them who his God is. The God of heaven. The God who created everything, the land and the sea. Verse 9. He answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. That makes them even more scared. And when they remember that Jonah is running away from this God who made the sea, they ask him what to do. Verse 10. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make this? What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Jonah tells them to throw him overboard. They don't want to do it. But eventually the storm gets so bad and they get so desperate that they do do it. And miraculously and immediately the storm stops. Verse 12. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they, they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. Now, these sailors, they started out fearing the storm. But now, through Jonah, they've come to know the God who made the sea and the dry land. Now, through Jonah, these Gentile sailors know the God who controls the storms. And so now they come to fear God. And they offer him sacrifices and they make promises to him. They become worshippers of this God. Verse 16. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. If you think about it, it's wonderfully ironic, isn't it? Jonah is running away from God. Why? Because he doesn't want Gentiles to know God. He doesn't want Gentiles to repent and be forgiven and become worshippers of God. But what happens? He ends up telling Gentiles about the true God and they repent and begin to serve God. Commentator Daniel Timmer puts it this way. Jonah's anti-missionary activity has ironically resulted in the conversion of non-Israelites. 
All right, that's as far as we're going today. Can you see what's here in this first section of Jonah? Uh, God commands him to go to Nineveh to preach to the Gentile enemies of Israel. Uh, Jonah tries to run away. God sends a storm to stop him. Uh, the Gentile sailors start off terrified by the storm, but as Jonah tells them who God is and as they see God's power over the storm, they realise the one they really should be terrified of is the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And so they fear God and offer a sacrifice and make vows to him. Put it together and the point is clear, isn't it? God will do, to quote the sailors, as he pleases. God will do what God wants to do with Jonah or without him. Now, if Jonah obeys, then God will use his obedience and Jonah will have the privilege of serving God. If Jonah disobeys, then God will use his disobedience. Jonah can't run from God. Jonah can't stop God. With or without Jonah, God will do exactly what he wants. Okay, Okay. Let's, let's think about applying the passage to ourselves then. I reckon this passage speaks to us when we are angry with God, when, like Jonah, we think that God is doing the wrong thing. Uh, this passage speaks to us when, like Jonah, we think we know better than God how things ought to be done. Uh, three things to say. Three things to say. First thing, first thing to say is this. Disobeying God, rejecting God, running away from God when you're angry with him is a bad idea. It's a bad way to deal with being angry with God. It's not going to stop God. You just hurt yourself. Uh, this chapter of Jonah reminds me of a parable that Jesus told, famous parable, the parable of the sower. You remember the parable? A uh, farmer sows some seed, falls onto different kinds of soil with different results. Uh, on your outline there, I put Jesus' explanation of the parable. I see it on the right-hand side there. This is what Jesus says the parable means. It says, listen then to what the parable of the soul means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on the good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Friends, notice this. The farmer will get his crop. The farmer will get his crop. God's word will achieve exactly what he plans. If you are bad soil or thorny soil or rocky soil, you'll miss out on being part of God's crop. You will suffer, but you're not stopping God. You're not hindering his purposes. With or without you, God will have his crop. With or without you, God will have his kingdom. He will save his people. It is a bit like Jonah, isn't it? Jonah can work with God. Jonah can try to work against God. But if he works against God, Jonah only hurts himself. And God does what he wants anyway. So friends, here's the first thing to say when we're angry with God. 
it's a bad idea to disobey or run away or reject God. It won't achieve anything except hurting yourself. It's a better idea, even when we're angry, to keep trusting and keep obeying. Here's the second thing to say. Uh, a second thing to say when we are feeling angry with God. It's just possible that you don't know everything. It's just possible that you don't have the whole picture. It's just possible that if you could see everything as God sees it, that you would realise he's actually doing the best thing. Tim Keller writes this. At the root of Jonah's disobedience was his mistrust of the goodness of God. All sin against God is grounded in a refusal to believe that God is more dedicated to our good and more aware of what that is than we are. A refusal to believe that God is more dedicated to our good and more aware of what that is than we are. Doubting God's goodness, it goes all the way back to Garden of Eden, doesn't it? Adam and Eve, they assume they know better than God what's good for them, and so they eat the fruit. They assume that God doesn't have their good at heart. So maybe when we're angry with God, maybe we should stop for a while and reflect. Do we really know better than he does? What is the best thing? Or are we willing to humble ourselves, admit that we don't know it all, and trust him? One final thing to say, third thing to say, when we're angry with God, and again, it comes from a story that, uh, that this chapter in Jonah reminds me of. I think it's quite magnificent to read this in the light of Jonah. I've put it on your outline again. Mark chapter 4, have a look with me. Um, I'm sure it's a familiar story, but just think about it in light of what we've read in Jonah now. Uh, that day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Lots of similarities, aren't there? I don't think I realise quite how many similarities there are until I looked at Jonah more carefully this week. Storm at sea, terrified sailors, sleeping protagonist, they wake him up and whinge that he doesn't care about him. Sea is miraculously calmed and the sailors move from being scared of the storm to being scared of... Well, now it's Jesus, isn't it? With Jonah in our minds, the meaning of this story just, just opens up, doesn't it? 
Jesus calms the storm. That makes Jesus the God of heaven who made the land and the sea. The God of Jonah has come to earth in the person of Jesus. In Jesus, the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Friends, it's good theology, but more than that, I reckon it's a good thing to keep in mind when we're angry with God. The God we are angry with is the God we know in Jesus. I reckon that makes all the difference. In Jesus, I see a God of pure holiness. A God who will not let sin and injustice go on forever. A God who will make everything right. And in Jesus, I see a God who loved me so much, he bore the punishment my sin deserves on the cross. I might not understand everything about God. I might not understand why he does what he does. I might not understand why he has done what he has done in any particular situation. I might not even understand something as basic as why God would create people for them only to face his judgment. But in Jesus, I see a God I can trust. And so I'm I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, so to speak. I'm willing to assume that he's got it under control. Assume that he's doing the right thing. Assume his holiness and his love that I know in the cross. I'm willing to to wait for judgment day and see. All right. Three thoughts for when you're angry with God. First, rejecting God, bad idea. Second, maybe God's smarter than you think. And third, remember Jesus. A couple of years ago, a friend of mine experienced my worst nightmare. Uh, something happened to him that is the, the, the worst thing I can imagine happening. Uh, my friend had a teenage son. One day his son came to him. He said, Dad, I'm not a Christian anymore. I don't believe it's true. I don't want to believe it's true. I'm not relying on Jesus anymore. Uh, my friend was devastated, but still he, he had hope. He hoped it was just a phase. He hoped that his son would soon change his mind. Then a few weeks later, the son was killed in a car accident. As I said, I can't think of a worse nightmare. I can't think of anything that would make me more angry with God if it happened to me. So what would I do if it happened to me? What would you do? My friend wrote this, and I'll end with this, because I think this is exactly the response that we ought to have when we're angry with God. He said, I'm devastated, shattered, so sad, so angry, so helpless. I want to run from God. I want to rage against God. But where else have I to go? So I'll wait. And knowing the goodness and love of God in Jesus, I trust that on the last day I'll see that God has done the right thing.
the good thing, the best thing. That's my only hope. Let's pray. Uh, Almighty God, we live in a world that is full of sin and sadness, sorrow, tragedy. Uh, and it's very easy for us to get angry with you when these things touch us. But Heavenly Father, help us to learn uh, from Jonah that you do actually have it all under control, that you are working your good purposes in this world. Uh, help us to learn as we look at the Lord Jesus Christ of, of your perfect goodness and love. And so help us, uh, even in our anger and sadness, to trust you and to obey you. And Lord, we do trust that that day will come where we'll see that uh, we'll see that you were right all along and we long for that day when Jesus comes back and all these wrongs are set right. Lord, help us to trust Jesus and please forgive us that we may be in his kingdom on that day. We pray it in Jesus' name.